Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Once I was uh, hiking through the mountains, and there was a big sign, and it said, Beware, uh, mountain lions are present. And when you saw the sign, it then gave kind of examples of why this is a beware and a dangerous thing, like keep the pets close, don't let small children run away, don't hike alone, uh, make loud noises, all those things scare the animals away. And then it also gave all this advice that if you do see a mountain lion, don't run away, it's faster than you. Or stand up, put your arms up and yell, maybe you can scare it off. And that's how a beware sign works. There's a danger, there's some examples. And then it tells you what you should do to keep away from the danger. And that's exactly what Jesus does here in Matthew 6. Look with me as Jesus teaches us what we should be scared of. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward reward. Jesus tells us danger if you practice your religiously tinted goodness, your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. We should practice righteousness before God because God is worth it. God is righteous and we do right things to worship God with our heart. But the problem is our hearts twisted. We start to practice righteousness in order to make other people think we're righteous and kind of get them to worship us. Just tell me how great I am for how much I give to the poor. Tell me how great I am because I pray long prayers and people like it. Tell me how great I am instead of being concerned with righteousness because Jesus is righteous and we worship him. Giving to the poor, that's a win. Praying in private, appropriate public ways, that's seen throughout scripture. That's a big win too. But doing these things for show, Jesus says, beware. It's dangerous because it cannot be about them and about thee at the same time. You cannot live your life for the applause of others and be glad in the approval of God. The approval of God that's been won through Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and failures. He rose from the dead and gave you his perfect life. Therefore, we have approval in God and we don't need anyone else's. But when we live for the approval of others, we lose all of the power in our life and the joy in our life. And in fact, we turn our righteous acts into these filthy rags. We're doing things for the wrong reasons and we're missing the point. If any part of our life is more about the crowd than about Christ, we need to be aware. It's not just spiritual practices of prayer or giving. It could be work. It could be working for that promotion. And it's all about getting the promotion. It's all about getting the thing. And if we don't get the thing, we're going to be crushed. Instead of saying, I work for God and however my life plays out, I'm in. I'm still going to do the same good job because my God sees me in secret. 
It could be the same for your sexual ethics, whether you're single or married. You can say, man, I, I want to keep these sexual ethics because these are approved of. I don't want others to think, think low of me or think bad of me or, or, or to gossip about me or whatever else. Well, guess what? When your friends change and the audience changes or the audience changes their opinion, guess whose sexual ethics are going to come unglued too? See, if it's not for the audience of Jesus, then everything can always change. And all the things that happen in life either destroy us or exalt us, but we are kind of always adrift and in danger. Jesus uses the word hypocrite here, and hypocrite is a word that was made up by the ancient Greeks. And what it was made for was for an actor. An actor would put on a face back then, a a literal mask. That's how they did all their plays. And they put it over their face and they called a hypocrite because he would play a different role from either who he or she was. They weren't this person, but they're trying to convince you they were. In our culture, we call a hypocrite someone who preaches one thing and does another. But Jesus is using it in its original context, which means you're a hypocrite Whenever you fill that empty role of being religious for other people, when the Christian religion is about a relationship with God, you're a hypocrite when you fulfill the empty role of being religious for other people and your heart is far from God. It's exhausting to be a hypocrite. Amen? It's exhausting to do religious things for the applause of other people. It doesn't bring you any closer to God and it wrecks your soul way down deep. Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't be like the people who love to stand in market squares and be praised for how religious they are. In Jewish life, praying three to four times a day in public, wherever you were, especially of the first century, that was the height of religious piety to just show how religious you were by dropping what you're doing and praying. And he's saying, it's cool to pray. Just don't do it for them if you're claiming to be praying to God. Your heart matters in all you do. If you miss the heart, you miss absolutely everything. And that's where Jesus' second example in verse 5 hits home. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Prayer for the goal of being seen, to love to stand and pray for the eyes of others, not God, is wicked. Because using any religious thing to try to manipulate others is pretty wicked. Using the things of God for ends that are not of God, it ain't great. Jesus reiterates that chasing man's praise as a reward, we will miss God's reward. We can't draw near the Messiah and wear a mask at the same time. As long as we insist on just playing a role or playing the part or doing our duty, we will draw no nearer to God. God isn't fooled by our mask. Neither is anyone else, really. If you spend enough time with them, you realize what parts of religious life are just perfunctory, just stuff they do versus things that come from their heart. And so what Jesus is saying in this spiritual discipline, he's going to give us an alternative. There's a way to live your life that doesn't submit to just being religious. Christianity is a religion, and at the heart of it is a relationship with Jesus. But how do we get out of just religious behavior? Jesus gives us an escape hatch. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The answer to our need for others' constant praise is secrecy. Not that we would hide ourselves or hide our life. Most of us need to work on being more vulnerable and having deeper relationships. But Jesus is talking about spending time with God who already approves of you because of Jesus. We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to prove anything. We are being with Jesus because he's Jesus. We're shutting the door because we can, because we can be safe with God and we can commune with God. And that's actually the way we stop performing and pretending for everyone else is by getting in the presence of God and just staying there. We can be a people who are generous, who serve, who give our time away with our right hand and left our, let our left hand dangle free when we spend time in the presence of God. The discipline of secrecy starts when you realize you have no secrets before God. The time of our life we think of as secret and alone, driving our car or in our bed at night or taking a shower. Or what are the times when we just feel really alone? Or maybe you're living alone and it's all the time. It's a lot of the time. Maybe you study all the time. All the time that you think you're alone, that your mind tricks you that you are alone. You've never been alone if you're following Jesus. He's already there. The discipline of secrecy is waking up to the awareness that God is with you and will never be leaving you. That he's there in the middle of the night when your child is sick and you, no one's ever going to know that it was one in the morning and three in the morning and five in the morning. And if you, if you try to tell your friends, they don't really care because it's not their kid and they weren't there. Guess what? God was there and he cared. You don't have any secret time. You just have time either with God or time with God and with people. And God's saying, whether you're just with me or in the marketplace or at the synagogue or at the church or wherever else, I want you to focus on being with me even in those times. Because the best future for everyone around you is you wholeheartedly following me, whether you're in front of a crowd or just with your spouse or a roommate or a friend. The best future is you wholly devoted to me and living from that place. Don't be someone who's changing depending on whose crowd you're with or at, you're at work or all the things. Sure, there's different roles to put on. You're a leader at work. You're this here. You're this here. You're this here in the neighborhood. But the essential you should not change. Your motive should not change. Your heart should still beat for Jesus Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. We trick ourselves into thinking there's a time that we're on stage and off stage. And there's no such thing before God. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 tells us this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 12. He says, nothing covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on, house, on housetops. Our God is always with us. He sees everything. And one day he's going to lay it all bare. And that's not a, this isn't a heavy teaching to sling around your neck. It actually is a freeing teaching to say, God's with me. He actually cares about me and he wants to help me obey whether in private or public. 
I have a God in my corner actually rooting for me and then leading me even when I don't want to be led like a stubborn donkey. God actually wants us to be wholeheartedly his no matter who's watching. And even when we feel crushed and alone and no one understands, there's a God who does, a God who's with us, a God who won't leave us, a God who draws close to us. Therefore, secrecy is the spiritual discipline of being aware that even when we are alone, we're not alone. And then letting that comfort us, that life with God isn't just the time at church where I, where I got to sing or the time at church where I get to serve or the time at church or the time at, at group or the time I do discipleship with someone. The time with God is all the time and therefore we can reflect on our heart and grow. The secrecy is the gift to know that God is always with you and more than that, he will reward you. We get real uncomfortable with reward and Jesus is real comfortable with it. We say that's kind of strange, and Jesus says it's logical. He's the God who sees all, and he plans on rewarding everything done for his glory forever and ever and ever. Just because it's not on Instagram doesn't mean it won't be rewarded or even resound in eternity. Just because all the time it takes to form a child, all the patient time of just sitting with your one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, of just giving them their patient love and attention, gently correcting them, helping mold and shape them. Are they going to remember all that consciously? No. But is it going to shape them? Absolutely. And God's saying, all of life is like that with me. He cares how you tend your flowers. He cares how you keep your house. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness in all things. If we boil God down to just some religious practices that we either do well or don't do well, we have limited God and made him like a pagan God who only cares about our cult practices, cult meaning religion practices. When we have a God who made absolutely everything under his son and is with us all the time, that there are zero parts of your life that God doesn't care about. Many people say I do important things at church. I do important things with the Bible and all the rest doesn't matter. And here's the truth, church. If God doesn't care about your work, then God doesn't care about your life because you spend about a third of your life at work. So if you don't think God cares about your work and is with you in your work, whether you're killing it or not killing it, God cares about work. He cares about home. He cares about how you sleep. He cares about everything. There's nothing that God doesn't care about, which makes it so cheap when we go do religious things to impress others. At best, it's not trusting that God will reward us and that God's enough, that I also need man's praise or maybe I don't get the spiritual hit I want. And at worst, it says, hey, would you guys please worship me? Because life's about me. When we are happily not at the center of our own life, when Jesus is, suddenly everything becomes spiritual under the discipline of secrecy, that it's okay if the best parts of you are just between you and God. What if at the end of your life, you got to celebrate in heaven that the best, most holiest moments of your life or just between you and God. There is a huge difference in your life of thinking, when I have a quiet time, when I have a special time with the Lord, when I do anything, is this a treasure to share, or is this a treasure to cherish? 
That sounds ominous. Take the words I say very seriously. Alarm's going off. The thing is, there are things in life to cherish. There's just stuff you can cherish and guard your heart with. Not everything's shareable. Not everything's commodifiable. Not everything is to be done for likes. Your life is meant to be private and cherished with God, or personal and cherished with God. Is it private? That's up and down. You should be public and share things. You should be known. But part of you can also cherish things. There's things about a relationship with my wife that I just want to cherish. I'm not even just talking about sexual things. I'm talking about our relationship. It's not like, well, 88% on display. It's like, I don't know, maybe 45% people see, even my best friends, because me and Elena, there's stuff we just cherish. There's memories that are just for us. How much more so for the Lord? How much more so for the Lord? Here's the thing. Our modern life is going to absolutely beg you to say all of out here is what matters. And what really matters and what drives how you live out here is your interior life with God. And that's such a radical, wild concept. We have the most radical religion on the planet to say the interior life, our heart, is the thing that matters and impacts everything we do out there. Jesus is saying your secret life will be rewarded with God. Don't care who notices. You don't have to hide what you do. Matthew 5 says, put a lamp on a stand. Don't hide it under a bed. Let your good deeds be seen by all. One day on the day of visitation, the Gentiles will praise God because of the good things you've done. We don't have to hide the good things we do, but we don't need to do it to impress people. As long as we're trying to impress people, we will never connect with them. You can pick. You can impress people or connect with them. You can try to impress God or connect with God. You can come to God saying, I have huge needs, please help me. Or come to God saying, look how great I am. Which one do you think will go well? We need God. We need God all the time. And there's no other way to live in this world. We obey because we are sure God sees us. We obey because we're sure God is with us. We obey because we're sure God will reward us. Will he judge all good deeds and bads at the end of the world? Well, those who are in Christ, their bad deeds have been forgiven. So he will judge our good deeds and reward us for them. Those who are not in Christ will be judged on their good deeds and bads, bad deeds, and it will go terribly because even one sin is far too many for a holy God. But the thing is, God isn't a harsh judge to thus those in Christ. He's not a, a mean British personality on reality TV critiquing you. Instead, he is someone encouraging you with all of his heart to yours to live from this deep place of his love and truth in your actual life. Because God sees us, we can close the door and actually pray to God. Because God sees us, we can trust the divine economy of reward instead of likes or approval from whoever you're trying to gain approval. Maybe it is a parent. Maybe that parent has even been put in the grave and you're still trying to gain their approval. You can live from the approval of God alone. And that frees you to be and follow Jesus with great joy. Because God sees us, our mask will always be too thin to really fool him or anyone else for that matter. You can have a secret life with God, and that's a good thing. And our goal today isn't to be more secretive. Our goal is rather to live in the freedom to do good 
and to do good in secret because God already knows. When we get secrecy right, it's fertile soil for all the other disciplines because most of these disciplines we're going to talk about, the other six, they're done alone mostly. (laughs) Or the decision to do them was done alone. Even when we get to community, you kind of had to make a decision alone to go pursue or actually do that thing. But when you get secrecy right, you're never alone and you're always with God and every thought is before God. Suddenly an interior life opens up to you. I want us to apply this directly to our hearts. I want to apply it in four ways, church. The first one is I want us as a church to become aware that the beginning of that become, sorry, awareness is the beginning of secrecy. We don't have to do something to start the discipline of secrecy. We just become aware that our life is with God, that we're never alone. Second is embrace secrecy is the basis of all other disciplines because if the heart is wrong, the rest is garbage. If we take up all seven disciplines that we talk about and we do them to the T, but the heart is missing, we're still missing the mark. And no one would know, but you and God would. And to have your heart right for the rest of the disciplines is what matters most. We're not adding spiritual disciplines to make others think we're righteous, but we do spiritual disciplines to enjoy the righteousness of God in our actual life. Number three is to believe our most, pr- our most private moments with Jesus are the most precious things in our entire life. We think of the big celebrations, the high points. Maybe it's a graduation. Maybe it's getting the job. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a child being born. Who knows what it is? But I'm here to tell you the most precious moments of your life, what you will regret on your deathbed, is you have no moments with Jesus to even talk to him about. If we think of Jesus as a real resurrected God person, Do you have times that he's spoken to you that you've heard clearly in your heart? I'm not talking about you being a prophet to the world, but rather someone speaking by the Spirit to your heart or illuminating Scripture to your heart that you say, hey, God has spoken to me. We had a real moment. I want to bank my life on his word. What if your most precious moments were your times of Jesus, not what the world says is important? Number four, Honor is the partner to secrecy. What if we build a culture of honor at citizens so rich that people didn't feel tempted to brag on themselves? That you were so quick to brag on another, to share about their goodness, to share and encourage others about them, to talk about the grace of God in Haley's life or Tyler's life or Sarah's life or Houston's life or Sophie's life or Andy's life, that they would not feel, they wouldn't be as tempted to the compulsion to praise themselves or, or let people know what they're doing, but rather we would build a culture of honor. It's the partner to secrecy. Because when you have this secret life from God, it makes you humble. It makes you know that the secret life is what matters the most. So this public life can be used to praise and exalt others. You can encourage people because you're secure and being approved of by God through the work of Jesus Christ. The tell of a poor secret life is pride. Because pride thinks it's all about what's out here and cares nothing about what's in here. And a humble heart starts to say, my life out here is to make this come out in sweet ways that encourage my sisters, encourage my brothers, and make much of Jesus that way. 
Church, I want to take this moment just to say, as we look at the great risk of letting our culture form us, would we embrace the great reward that these disciplines will be like a floodplain to us? Each one is not a guarantee that we're going to have an amazing encounter with God. But rather, I grew up in a floodplain. There were signs everywhere that said, hey, this is a floodplain. Every so often it floods here. And spiritual disciplines are putting your chair down in the floodplain, saying, God, you've told me to get here. You've told me to embrace secrecy, to embrace prayer, his word, rest, community, simplicity. You've told me worship to do these things. And I am here expectant that you will move and flood this land because it tends to rain here all the time. Would we trust Jesus to say, Lord, Next time I'm alone, I want to just out loud acknowledge, I am not alone. I am with God. And let that be the start of your interior world. And from that, we'll build next week in prayer. How do we talk to a God who actually listens to us? Church, I love you. I want to go on the journey with you. I want to be more like Jesus in a year, in five years, in 10 years. But we will have to pick up some new disciplines. And we will have to say no to some things in our life that keep us from those disciplines. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.